0: What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. It's almost Thanksgiving, Kalal, and we are Atlanta's Zone, Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was Atlanta Professional Sports. Wacky ass hijinks, slight optimism, depression, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going
1: very well. Uh, I think that slight optimism, was that maybe referencing going into last week? I don't feel optimistic anymore.
0: Well, it just depends on what you're talking about, Adam. That's true. As we know uh, now that the Atlanta Braves and the, especially the Atlanta Hawks, have just been going apeshit in free agency for their respective sports.
1: Yeah, it's actually worked out that we waited until noon on Tuesday to record this show. Uh, a, a lot has happened in the, since uh, last what Thursday or Friday in terms of the Hawks making moves after the draft and the Braves now as well. So exciting times to be a Braves and Hawks fan. I'll say that much at least.
0: Adam, where the hell do you want to start is my question.
1: Let's start with the Falcons.
0: <laughs> oh, God. That's what, that's what everyone wants to hear. You just saw our, our usership plummet now. No, no,
1: no, no. Let's start with uh, Travis Schlenk and his Hawks.
0: All right, Adam, so... Since the last time we talked to you guys, the NBA draft has occurred, 2020 version, and free agency is in full swing, and Travis Schlenk has made a bevy of moves and has arguably been the most active general manager in the offseason with just a whirlwind of improvements to this Hawks team that he's made by signing guys like Daniello Gallinari, Mm -hmm. Rayon Rondo, and... The offer sheet has been given to Bojan Bogdanovic, and the Kings, I believe, today is the last day they have, Tuesday, I think, to match the offer that we made for Bogdanovic, who is a very good outside shooter. Those are three big pieces, potentially, that are coming in. At least two of them we know are, and the third one with Bogdanovic, not to mention the draft that the Hawks had, and getting Onyeka Konglu from USC, who is a big-time Center, despite being six, only six nine, the man is thick. He averaged uh, a little under seventeen points and a little over eight rebounds a game for USC. Only played one year and averaged close, or averaged a little over two blocks a game. So this guy, you know, had a pretty, pretty decent, decent run at USC, and we'll see how he translates to the NBA. He is coming off an injury, so I don't think he's <laughs> going to start the season. With the team, but there's so much to talk about, Adam, with with all of these moves. Why don't we start with the draft?
1: So drafting a center at first seemed a little strange considering we had traded for Clint Capella last year. But this kid, I mean, he's got a ton of upside, and a lot of people did see him as possibly having the same talent to go, like, much earlier in the draft, like two or three. So... I guess what we're going for here is because you've got him alongside Capella and Collins now, it's just more, the, more of a depth piece and Gallinari who can only play power forward. We're just going to look to spread these minutes out a lot more um, and Okongo will give him a little time to develop, but he's certainly going to step in and you would think be a 20 to 25 minute night a guy from the get go. Um, so holding on to both those drafts picks was very surprising, but I mean, I'm, excited to see this kid play and it sounds like he's got all the upside in the world so we'll, we'll just see uh see what he's got
0: yeah it's interesting too uh, he is definitely a big time defensive player um as we mentioned not only is he averaging over two blocks a game but he is also, also gets a little over one steal a game when he was at usc he was an all-pack 12 first teamer and uh shot just over 60% from the floor doesn't have a great Three point uh, percentage he only took four threes. And I think he only made one of them, and that was a like a full court buzzer beater shot where he just threw it up in desperation and it went in. So, or maybe he only made four threes. I don't know. He didn't take that many three pointers. As long story short, but he is a good uh, free throw shooter. Shot 72 percent from the stripe. So Travis Schlink has gone on record saying he hopes that you know he can translate that to the three point to his three point shooting and. To a mid-range game, because right now he's a little bit one-dimensional in terms of just being a, a post player, but he has gotten a lot of respect from scouts in terms of his ability to move in the pick-and-roll, which I think was a huge reason why we drafted him, because as we know, Trey Young loves to create with the pick-and-roll. We see this with John Collins all the time. I imagine we'll see this with Clint Capella a lot, and we'll definitely see this with Uncongu when he does play. And so, yeah, I think he has uh, a lot of upside. For sure, and gives us more depth to defend the interior, which is something we struggled with quite a bit last year. Even when we got Dwayne Dedman back, um, it didn't really seem to matter. Like people could c- do whatever they want on the inside. John Collins certainly is a is a decent force down there, but he needs he needs reinforcement. And having either Capella or a playing with him on the floor is only going to make the interior of the Hawks' defense that much better.
1: Yeah, and our biggest weaknesses coming into this offseason was a our three-point shooting and B just our defense in general, um, especially kind of having to, someone's got to make up for Trey Young's just complete lack of defensive capabilities. So, I mean, that, that's what we've seen with these additions so far in Gallinari who can't play defense, but he's like a 40% three-point shooter. So, a guy like Okongwu down there with Capella, like you said, he's, they're going to have to be picking up for some of these guys that are a little lackluster on the defense, but so far it seems like Mr. Schlank there is addressing all of these issues and he, he might not be done yet. Who knows?
0: Right, and we've seen, you know, in the past too to go back to the defense, we've seen guys like Paul Millsap play the five and Al Horford, who was forced to play the five even though he's a natural four and, you know, they were able to Fill in and do a good job in terms of playing solid defense. So you're hoping that, not to say Akanu is going to be as good as, as either one of those guys. You're hoping he's going to be better, even though that might be a lot to ask, especially of a, of a, a player just coming up into the, the NBA this year. And I don't expect that to happen this year, but it's not like it's unprecedented for a guy of his size to play the five, and especially with the way the NBA is evolving, and you don't have as many like super dominant big men in the post, other than you know you like your Nikolai Jochics. And uh, guys of that ilk, it's, um, you know, I think it's okay to take a chance on this guy, particularly. And it's not even really that much of a chance. It's like, I think this was more of a, this was a best player available kind of draft because you're right. You have Capella, you have John Collins. Um, So it's kind of like initially when we drafted him, I was like, well, what what are we doing here? But at the same time, we know John Collins' contract is running out. I think this, this is his last year. The Hawks have talked about, trying to resign him but we don't know if that's going to happen so if john collins unfortunately has to walk or gets a better offer from someone someone else you at least know you have another developing center slash power forward way in the wings
1: yeah and now that they've addressed like backup point guard was a big concern behind trey young where the offense would just completely disappear when he gets his little five minutes on the bench now that we've addressed that in rondo and we've addressed the outside shooting and Gallinari and hopefully Bogdanovich as well. The pick makes a ton more sense. And I, I agree this could, this could be a little bit of insurance. Should we lose John Collins? Cause with all, with all the money we've got devoted now for the next couple of years, I'm a little confused for how John Collins fits in there.
0: I think he can still fit in. Cause we're still going to have a bitch load of cap space, I think. And this is the reason why the Hawks are spending so much. I mean, I mean, Literally, they've they've tried to get Bogdanovich now. That's in they're trying to give him a four year, seventy two million dollar deal, which would be the, I think the biggest contract we've offered anybody. Gallinari was three years, sixty one million. Rondo is two years, I think fifteen million. So this Bogdanovich deal is actually the the, the largest deal that we're offering. What the, the way that Schlenk has been able to manipulate his cap, there's no reason to think that he's not going to have a decent amount. Of, I don't know what the cap looks like next year. But he's not going to put himself in a position where he can't make a run at a premier free agent next year. So I think also, hopefully, that means that we'll also be able to re-sign John Collins, but we'll see how that, how that materializes. And the Hawks have gone on record saying they want to bring back John Collins on a good deal. So they wouldn't be saying that if uh, they weren't trying to re-sign him. And they wouldn't have spent all this money on all these other guys if they also could not bring back John Collins. So not to say that they will, but the opportunity is there to do so.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the next piece we're watching to see, because I mean, certainly wouldn't be surprised if there's some movement on that this week. Um, But it's so refreshing just that this rebuild is officially gone from slowly acquire assets, acquire first round talent, develop the talent to just like that, acquire NBA ready talent right now and you can tell instantly, okay, this team is expecting to make the playoffs in a big way this year. Um, And it it just escalated so quickly, but it's just such a relief to, you know, I think we got less than a month now, and I'm stoked to watch some Hawks basketball now and see how all these pieces come together. That's the thing. They've never played on the court together, so you don't know how they're all going to fit. But it's going to be an exciting thing to watch.
0: Yeah, Uh, and I think – It'll be kind of like, not to compare these teams to you know the LeBron super teams he's assembled over the last decade, but I think when you bring in this many new pieces, regardless of the, the sport, particularly for something like basketball, where I think chemistry is arguably one of the more important things to develop, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to take some time for these guys to, to gel. And Trey Young is going to have to learn that he doesn't have to take as many shots probably as he is now. He still needs to be the force that he is, he needs to be our MVP, he needs to score a lot, he needs to keep dishing the rock. But I expect, particularly with Capella and Gallinari, that we're going to get a heck of a lot more usage out of our additional pieces than we've ever had in the Trey Young era. And I think also these moves speak to how much... Or, sorry. I think these moves speak to uh, how much the rest of the league, or at least the guys that we've gotten, take Trey Young seriously. View him as a a superstar, a perennial, hopefully, a a, a perennial MVP candidate. I mean... We have never seen a free agency like this for the Hawks. We were actually bringing in really good talent like this across the board. Like, you know, Gallinari is a a very good player. As as Adam mentioned, shoots 40% from three, averages over 18 points a game, Um, you know, gets six, seven boards a game. Rajon Rondo, even though he's not the player he was, he's still a very solid veteran player. It was just on the Lakers who won the NBA title. Still averaging something like seven points and six assists a game, which is perfectly fine from a backup point guard. It's actually, in fact, better than you would expect from your backup point guard. And Bogdanovich, you know, is another guy who's also a, a great three-point shooter who really lengthens your your uh, your lineup because of his ability to to shoot the three, which is, as Adam mentioned, also was another huge area we struggled in. So if we bring him in, it's just the fact that you're attracting guys now who are coming here under their own volition, aren't coming over here in trades and things like that, I think speaks to what Travis Schlink is building, and it speaks to Trey Young's star status.
1: And and none of them are this superstar piece.
0: No. Yet, but... But I did not expect us to be in the running for a guy like Gallinari just because we never, you know, we usually don't get guys like that.
1: Right. And, no. most importantly, as you and I were discussing the other day, Trey Young's excited about all these guys. Like, that's, I think we had to make a move and a push to the playoffs this year to prove that a we're serious about winning not only to potential free agent superstars, but to Trey young. So we obviously don't want to lose him. So, I mean, this is exactly what we needed. And it's like, all right, Trey, we got the pieces around you. Let's see what you can do with it. And, and then hopefully, you know, we do get that big name next summer.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the goal, right? Because I, th- I don't think you're going to get a huge – one, free agency isn't really that great this year, and two, I think you've got to be able to do something in the playoffs to prove that you are a legitimate, legitimate team. I think about when, you know, Kevin Durant goes to Golden State. I mean, obviously they won the NBA title, and they, they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, But, you know, it's like KD's not going to consider that unless you really see something. Not to say we're going to get KD, but maybe a guy like Giannis – I can, you know, I'm not even going to try to say his last name because I always blow it. Uh, or maybe even a player not quite as good as Giannis. But, you know, so bringing, you know, just the ability to bring someone in who can be a superstar, can coexist with Trey, is something the Hawks are going to have to do eventually to if they actually really want to compete for an NBA title. And this is the most important year in the Trey Young era that we have to make the playoffs and we have to at least win one round of the playoffs if not two, I think, to be able to, to say to people, okay, you know, this core is going to be here for a minute. I mean, everybody's locked up, with the exception of John Collins, for quite a while, at least two years, if not three years. So, I mean, quite a while is a relative term there. But, you know, you're going to have Gallinari again next year. You're going to have Rondo again next year. If Bogdanovich signs, you're going to have him for three more years after this year. So what the Hawks do now I don't think this core is going to change that much going into next season. It's going to be, how do these young players keep progressing? Do the established veterans fit in with our core? And if they do, and it can yield great results, then you're set up to finally make a run at a superstar caliber player who can come in here with Trey Young and try to bring Atlanta a championship in the NBA for the first time.
1: What do you think? So, And And I know this rumors are generally way off, but this one was interesting just in the fact that John Collins is a little more expendable now and trading a John Collins and maybe like a Kevin Herter for that superstar that wants to get out of his team right now, James Harden, pairing him up with Trey Young for a couple of years. What are your thoughts there?
0: That is an interesting idea. And I think, you know, I mean, we know Harden is a scoring machine. He's one of the most prolific scorers in the NBA, one of the best players in the NBA. Isn't worth a damn on defense. Um, but, you know, pairing him with Trey would be pretty exciting. Uh, I don't know. That'd, that'd be tough because, like, my thing with – I mean, he's obviously better than Herter and John Collins, and I think it would probably take a little more to pry Harden away from Houston. But, I mean, I would I would entertain those conversations and see what exactly is the – you know, what exactly is the asking price for Harden? Because I mean, my thing is, why, why not kick the tires on that, even though Harden still has never gotten over the hump and been able to win a title? You know, he's certainly a, a player that fits into the mold we're talking about that can elevate a team to a title, for sure.
1: Yeah, the only problem but- there, pairing, pairing his complete lack of defense and need to constantly have the ball with That's right. Trey Young, who's kind of the same guy. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Trey Young can adapt his game to having more talent around him, which is something to look for, even with the players we have now. But that would be that'd be the problem with a guy like James Harden.
0: You know, we saw this last year, though, with uh, Westbrook being on Houston. And they still were not able to get over the hump. So it's like I don't think, you know, maybe Harden's not the guy I don't know. But Maybe. I'm at least gonna I'm at least gonna entertain that and ask around.
1: Maybe he's like a uh, Ken Ken Griffey Jr., just not a championship player.
0: It's possible, but um, a damn arena. I, I mean, uh, Matt Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I mean, like when Harden's on, he's on. But he also has a, a really bad habit of disappearing in the playoffs, especially in elimination games. And the, the track record's kind of there for that, which yeah. is a little disturbing. But, you know, why not kick the tires on it, I'd say. And even though I love John Collins, I mean, I bought John Collins's not jersey, but the T-shirt version of a jersey. So, I mean, despite him fucking up last year with all the steroid stuff, I still love John Collins, so I'd hate to see him go. But you're right, in the interior, you know, you have Capella for the next four years. He's only 26, and then you get Unkongwu, who you know, could certainly be a viable piece to this core for a long time. So if you think someone's expendable, you actually could bring in a superstar. Why not look into it?
1: And then the other hope as far as the superstar piece is maybe one of these guys develops into a superstar on his own, like a Cam Reddish. Or just John Collins is obviously the closest already, but I still have a ton of hope for Cam Reddish with the push that we saw at the end of last year. Um, sucks that he hasn't been able to play basketball in like ten months now, but hopefully, yeah. I, hopefully he can kind of pick up where he left off.
0: Yeah, you hope so. Um, let's talk about Skylar Mays for a second. So, yes, went to LSU. Had a he was a he's a four year player, so he was he was a senior last year, and he really made a nice transition to a senior year. He went from averaging 13 points in his junior year to seven, a little over 17 points per game. He also sh- shot overall throughout his career uh, 35% from three. And it uh, seemed like a, just a decently solid player. Didn't get a ton of rebounds or a ton of assists. It was more of a scorer. But uh, s- played played good defense overall seemingly. But wasn't exactly, you know, an outstanding player that you think is going to immediately contribute to a nba team there's a lot of talk about him potentially uh maybe starting in the d league g league whatever the hell it's called this year particularly with all these moves we've made we, we haven't even mentioned chris dunn from the bulls who we also signed who's a good two and if bogdanovich comes in then that's even less of a reason for mays to probably even see the, the floor this year so
1: yeah with dunn and we, we signed some other dude who's also uh, like a, T- T-
0: tony snell snell yeah yeah, who's from and, he, He's
1: a big time three and D guy.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we're we're getting very deep at the two now. So I mean, I don't even really see where Mays fits in to this team this year.
1: Yeah, maybe he'll be on the College Park team for a little bit. And I mean, just the fact that he is a four year guy, you, you got to think he's more ready to play. But yeah, he'll, it would probably take some injuries to see too much of him this year.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's some pretty exciting times if you're if you're a Hawks fan, and yeah, the fact that Gallinari shot forty percent from three last year is just awesome, and he's he's still you know, even though being thirty two, he's still in, I I think in his prime, still playing a really high caliber of NBA basketball.
1: He, he's a bit of an injury risk. I don't think he's played over, like he averages like 50-something games a year. Um, So that's something to be on the lookout for. Seems like this past year they just limited his minutes a lot to where he was more of like a 25 to 30-minute-a-night guy, which I think would be fine with the depth that we have around him.
0: Yeah. Well, the last couple years, though, I mean, he played uh, 62 games last year and he played 68 games the year before that. Which isn't I think the NBA season played eighty two games, so that's not yeah, that's not terrible. But you're right. Overall he's had a couple uh let's see, the twenty seventeen season he only played in twenty one games. Twenty fifteen season only played in fifty three, so yeah. Um and he has a couple other seasons like that too. And the closest he ever came to playing a full season like almost playing in every game was in two thousand nine. So yeah. We'll definitely have to probably be generous with giving him a little bit of time off. But, I mean, that that's a guy that can come in here and immediately make an impact on the offensive side of the ball and really strengthen that three-point percentage as a team, which I think, uh, particularly with Lloyd Pierce's affinity for just jacking threes like a maniac, we uh, we need guys that can shoot better than what we have now. And he yeah. Because,
1: I mean, we get open looks all day long with Trey Young, but I think we shot like 33% as a team last year where the league average is like 35. So, I mean he's definitely an elite player elite offensive player anyways um it's kind of it's lloyd pierce's time to shine now like
0: yeah pressure's on him to deliver with this team and it'll be interesting to see how he's able to really make sure that the veterans can fit in with the young players and vice versa because throughout his coaching tenure it's pretty much just been young you know the vast majority of players are very young like vince carter and Deadman were the only two guys, and there's probably someone else I'm not thinking of. And I guess Jeff Teague last year, but he didn't really matter in terms of, I think, team chemistry. But, you know, those are only really the, the, the two guys that were, you know, more veteran players that were here for a while. So is, uh that actually, like, played a lot. So I, I wonder how Lloyd Pierce is going to do with, with team chemistry. And we know the Hawks went into a really bad spell last year with, with John Collins, the steroid thing where Trey Young's getting really pissed off and uh, the team is not able to really battle its way out of that. So what happens now with Lloyd Pierce, with this new influx of talent uh, of veteran players and the young players, it'd be interesting to see how he's able to navigate that. And you're exactly right. If he doesn't, if we do not make the playoffs this year, Lloyd Pierce needs to be fired.
1: Yeah. I mean, Anthony Wrestler is clearly saying he expects this to be a playoff team now. And I don't think anyone can look at the Hawks roster now and not agree that they definitely should be in the playoffs. So,
0: yeah,
1: it's uh, the slack is gone now, Lloyd. And it's t- time to win.
0: Yep. Hear that.
1: In other Hawks news, Graham, uh, Atlanta Hawks player Chandler Parsons is engaged to girlfriend Haley Harrison.
0: Very exciting. Do you still have Chandler Parsons? <laughs> I don't
1: think so. I mean, well, this is according to Yahoo Entertainment. They popped up on my little newsfeed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, th- I think he played maybe half a game this past year.
0: Yeah, I remember he we signed him and he hardly, like, yeah. He was just <laughs> injured seemingly the whole time. But, yeah, Chandler
1: Parsons is not going to be a big piece for us this year.
0: No. But
1: congr- congratulations.
0: Very, very good. To
1: Chandler and Haley. The the only only other thing I wanted to say that we didn't really touch on with Rondo is he had a pretty bad reputation with the Lakers fans like during the regular season to the point where they didn't even want him on the postseason roster. And apparently that's kind of his M.O. to where he'll just have stretches where it just looks like he doesn't give a shit Mm -hmm. and then he'll turn it on in the playoffs. And he was amazing for them in the playoffs. But we don't really have the flexibility for him to do some nonsense like that. Like we need him to come in and be a leader. And you know it's hope just not
0: the kind of player he is though. He's never been a leader, even when he was, you know, more of an elite player. So I d I I don't need him to be a leader. I need him more just to fill in and, and be a good backup point guard and, and hopefully keep his mouth shut and not ruin you know I don't even know that there's that much team chemistry on this team, but whatever chemistry there is he could be potentially a lightning bol- uh, lightning rod uh, in terms of of swaying that energy if he comes in here and starts acting like a jackass. And so, yeah, you're you're right. We cannot afford that. But I also don't ex- I don't expect him to be a leader. He's well, not you, that kind of player.
1: You do have to remember we are losing. The one thing we are losing is the biggest veteran presence we had in that locker room last year. That was probably a big part of the chemistry, in Vince uh, Vince Carter. So, yeah, just don't be a cancer. Don't be a Vic Beasley. Come in and do your job. I'm sure he could teach Trey Young a thing or two if he cares to, but don't love hearing that from the his uh old teams fan base for sure.
0: No. And this has been an issue that's followed him throughout his career, so I mean I don't ex- I expect him to be a bit of a of a nuisance, but hopefully it's not that bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's crazy a guy like him chose the Hawks as well, where Right. You, you would think he'd just be going for championships at this point. Yeah. So they're, they're selling something good in Atlanta.
0: All right, Adam, I think that sort of covers the, the Hawks, or at least the, the little bit of the knowledge we actually know about some of these players. Um, let's move on to the Atlanta Braves. Something we didn't report on that happened, I think, within the last week was the Braves signed Drew Smiley pitcher from the San Francisco Giants starting pitcher to an $11 $11 million deal, one-year $11 million deal. Anthopolis seems to be following the format of one-year contracts to veteran players uh, and bringing them into Atlanta in terms of free agency. So I don't really know that much about Mr. Smiley. I know he had a much better year. This year in limited action than he did last year at three four four two ERA one point one zero WHIP uh, with San Francisco I think he only started five games and only appeared in seven so it's a very limited sort of uh, track record particularly in the year before that he was uh, much worse pitcher at a ERA close to four five and a WHIP that was a lot higher but um I know So he- I don't know.
1: I know he's popular with the sabermetric people. Uh, Apparently his fastball velocity was up a few ticks and his spin spin rate was way up.
0: Yeah, it's up to 93. His fastball was 91. So I think that uh, allowed for him to strike out more people. So in only seven appearances, he struck out 42 batters last year compared to uh, in 2019 when in 12 games he struck out 68 so he was on track you know if he hadn't been able to get more starts he would have easily eclipsed that number
1: yeah so it's definitely a i mean with the one-year deal yeah 11 million that's not chump change but potential that he could be a steal if you know anthopolis does his homework with the saber metrics and i'm sure they had a lot of scouts on this guy and they they saw something that that thought worthy of giving him that 11 million dollars so maybe it's like an anibal sanchez type deal where you don't think too much of it at first but then end of the year he's one of your best pitchers so who knows yeah. who knows
0: you know i think that concerns me about him as we were talking about injury prone guys like danielo Gallinari, but i would say i would argue true smiley over the course of his career has been more injury prone if you look at his his stats i mean the last time he was able to start 30 games was in 2016 so 2014 he only starts seven. 2015 he only starts 12. The the Rangers and Phillies. He played on both those teams in 2019. He only started 21 games, and he also had just a god awful stint with Texas, where he had an 8.42 ERA and almost a two WHIP. So clearly, he's figured something out with the improved fastball velocity. The spin rate, as Adam mentioned, but there there's a a big enough track record here to me that that worries. I guess not as much about the performance piece, but more so the injury side of things. Um, but the performance thing is also something, I don't know. It's just like...
1: He's Mr. Mediocre.
0: Yeah. When you look at him. Yes, but also just like not being able to appear in a lot of games. And I think with a rotation that is young and that is also you know coming off of losing uh, an ace who's, who's returning from a Achilles injury... I would rather have tried to bring someone in who maybe wasn't as injury-prone. But it's still, you know, it was a short season last year, but he did pitch well. So, I mean, hopefully that success translates and he's able to maintain that fastball velocity.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly I'm just looking at some of these games, like his most recent games. Five innings, three hits, 10 Ks, one walk. Uh, 3.2 innings, 8 Ks. So, yeah, those Ks really are jumping off the board there. It's like he's averaging like seven Ks a game in some yeah, short in I and mean, some short stints as well.
0: Right. Forty two strikeouts and twenty six innings pitched. So I mean that's a pretty lofty number. Yeah. K's per start. And only nine walks as well. So
1: there's something there. Pretty
0: good. Yeah. And hopefully all we can fully tap into that.
1: Yeah, and fortunately, as we're about to see with our most recent signing, that wasn't it. If Drew Smiley was all you did Uh, there's going to be some more upset Braves fans, although Braves fans are always upset.
0: Right, because we're cheap as shit, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so Drew Smiley certainly doesn't – I didn't exactly start jumping around when I heard that one on the news feed.
0: Yeah, but I think uh, more players are – or players, excuse me, more fans are jumping around for joy this morning with the announcement that the Braves signed Charlie Morton, who actually started his career – with the Braves, and was part of the Nate McLouth deal in 2009 for old Corky to come to Atlanta, as he was affectionately known by some, some fans. So, yeah, Charlie Morton, on the other hand, Adam, is a guy that despite being 37 years old and having an injury-prone season last year, is someone you can get pretty excited about. He's one year removed from being, a, uh, being worth five WAR. Uh, in 2019, with a 305 ERA and a 1.08 whip, and struck out 240 batters across 194 innings. So he's only one year removed from that. Had some injury trouble last year, only uh, started nine games, but he pitched really well in the playoffs for the Rays. And as we know, the Rays went to the World Series and lost to those asshole Dodgers. But he started four games, had a 2.7 ERA, struck out 23, only and walked five. And uh, twenty innings, so very good postseason. And I think you know, because I had him on my fantasy team last year, and he was never really able to get his footing back after he was injured. He was out for like a month, but then once the playoffs rolled around, he was you know classic Charlie Morton, the guy who helped the you know the Astros win a World Series when he was uh, with them. So I expect big things from Charlie Morton if he can stay healthy. This is a lot a much better sign than Cole Hamels to me, where you know Cole Hamels was coming off like back-to-back injury-ravaged seasons. Mm-hmm. Charlie Morton's coming off, you know, an injury last year, but if you look at, you know, the the three prior years, he was not really injured at all. And to be that good as he was in 2019, you know, if you're only one year away from that, despite being 37, who's to say that he cannot get closer to that? Now is pitching in the AL East, for Christ's sake. Not to say the AL East is a cakewalk, but... Uh, you know, much smaller ballparks and huge sluggers everywhere. So I actually really like this signing and um, think that he can contribute in a big, major way to this rotation.
1: Yeah, this, this is certainly a signing that it seems like it was inevitable that he would have a, have a Braves jersey on at some point. I know he apparently really wanted to come here a couple of years ago when he signed that two-year deal with the Rays. So I mean, I, yeah, I agree. Love the signing. A uh, guy with a ton of playoff experience. His regular season does scare you a little bit last year, but hopefully he he does come in healthy. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just imagine having that guy in our series against the Dodgers last year. What a difference in the playoffs last month! I guess that just was like what what a difference that would have made. So
0: yeah, particularly with how well he did pitch in this this postseason. I mean, that's the thing that I kept coming back to when I when we were talking about getting him was just thinking about those fantastic starts he had with, with Tampa Bay in the playoffs and saying, all right, you know, he's clearly got his health back and he's pitching at a really high level against some really good teams. So it's looking good to me.
1: Yeah. And, and and now we're starting to stack our rotation with some more veteran guys for this depth. Um, So currently what we're looking at is freed, Anderson, Soroka, who should be back at some point in April, Smiley, and Morton. That's pretty solid. That's a good rotation. And then you've got your Kyle Wrights and Bryce Wilson's doing their same little uh, Gwinnett train, or they're there inevitably when someone goes down with injury. But...
0: Yeah, and I think those guys will be counted on to make starts next season. I think this is a seven-man rotation, and those are our seven pitchers. And I think the only downside of this Charlie Morton signing is, I think, that takes you out of the running for a guy like Trevor Bauer. And I think that's further echoed by Anthopolis coming out this morning and saying that, you know, there were three guys we had on our list for pitching, and Smiley and Morton were at the top of the list, which – tells me that they weren't even entertaining the notion of signing Trevor Bauer. Well, who's uh, the third? I don't know. He didn't say who the third one was.
1: Maybe but, it was, maybe it's Bauer.
0: But you wouldn't put Smiley and Morton over Bauer, for Christ's sake, the Cy Young winner. <laughs> that's And a if, fair if you do that, you're, you're, you're a jackass.
1: That's a fair point.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't think – I think that that's the, really the negative about this, is that it means that we're not going to go after Bauer and that he's out of our price range. You also wonder how this could potentially impact trying to bring back Marcelo Zuna. But I think, you know, there's a much better chance of of us re-signing Ozuna than there is of us trying to get Bauer. If you can bring back Ozuna with these two additions, um, that would be great. You also got to worry about Melanson being a free agent as well. But at least our most glaring issue last year is being addressed, sort of like how and was addressed the bullpen over the last couple of years, and that was a huge issue. Yeah. Now he's addressing the rotation because that was a huge issue. So hopefully we have more depth there, more stability, and if someone goes down we can fill the void a little better. And I think the good news is, at least about this year, is that you know Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson figure some stuff out. So if they're gonna be called upon, hopefully they can, you know, actually contribute in a more consistent level at an MLB level. So
1: Yeah, and I agree about the seven man rotation, like those two guys afford us to you know, give Smiley or whoever, Saroka is going to need time as well, an extra day off here and there. So hopefully they can get a little more consistent time in the rotation versus one start every couple months or something like that again. Right. Um, but I'll leave that up to Snit and Thopolis to figure th- those pieces out. But uh, yeah, if I've, you got to feel good about getting these out of the way early. The latest I heard on Ozuna was that. I guess he just changed agents, but his old agent was expecting an offer from the Braves in early December. So we might still have a few more weeks to wait around for that one to play out. We still don't know about the designated hitter, correct? Is that definitely not going to be a thing in 2021?
0: We It's not confirmed.
1: Maybe he's waiting for that <laughs> to decide where he goes.
0: Well, I think that makes sense, right? Because he's going to get a hell of a lot more money if there's a DH in the National League. Than he would, and that also limits his options if he were to, um, you know, in terms of the teams that could possibly get him, right? Because, I mean, if, if the DH is in play, then that opens up pretty much every team in baseball as opposed to if it, you know, is not in play, he's probably just going to go to somewhere in the American League. Yeah. It so totally makes sense from a, a business standpoint for Ozuna to wait until that rule is decided upon.
1: Yeah, Bowman is saying we're still seen as the favorites, but you know how that goes. Frickin Marlins will come out of nowhere and get him back or something. Oh
0: Jesus, that'd be awful.
1: Yeah, going home to Miami.
0: Yeah, well, let's hope that doesn't happen, and uh, we'll keep y'all posted on what we hear about Marcelo Zuna. But overall, good start to the to free agency for the Braves. I'd say.
1: Glad to hear you happy with it, Graham.
0: Yeah, I mean, I figured we weren't going to be in the running for Bowers because he wanted too much money, and with COVID you know, taking down revenues and us, you know, historically being cheap asses anyway, figure it wasn't going to happen. So I did. There's no, I never got my hopes up for it, even though that would have been, I would have said, you know, if you give me the option of signing smiley and Morton over, just getting Bauer, obviously you just want Bauer, but I don't think that was ever in play. So, yeah, I don't think so
1: either. He'll be a Yankee.
0: As As long as he's out of the national league, that's fine.
1: Yeah. I hear like the, the Mets are trying to make all types of big moves again. I just don't want him in the National League East, mainly. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah. That man's a beast.
0: All right, Adam. Let's talk about the shitty Falcons.
1: Yeah, they, they got my hopes up again, Graham.
0: Can't get your hopes up. You're like the, like the Falcons. So there was an article, a disturbing article I read on the Falcoholics before the game on Sunday where it said, oh, uh, Raheem Morris is seen as the front runner for the head coaching vacancy. I'm like, why? What has he done? He's beating the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Broncos. Big fucking deal. And yes, we look better, but big fucking deal. Like, beat someone who's worthwhile. Yeah. And the Falcons couldn't even beat a team that's worthwhile without supposedly a quarterback that's not worthwhile in Taysom Hill, and got slaughtered 24-9 to by the Saints. And it never felt, even though the Falcons were winning, it was almost just like waiting for the inevitable, because the offense just looked terrible terrible the whole game after that first drive when we had that deep pass to Calvin Ridley and then everything after that was just dog shit
1: and I missed that pass so I I, I pretty much just saw shitty offense the entire game
0: yeah it was it was unbelievably pathetic and I mean Matt Ryan looked terrible he was sacked for eight eight times and I would actually put a lot of those sacks on him he held onto the ball way too long I don't understand why the hell he could not get rid of the football yeah, and Taysom Taysom Hill did what Taysom Hill does. He ran a lot. And he actually looked pretty decent throwing the ball. I mean, he was eighteen of twenty three, He had five incompletions. He was averaging ten yards of throw, three for two hundred thirty three yards, and rushed for two touchdowns. Um, so he you know he did just fine.
1: Yeah, he he, he but, never made the big mistake that I kept expecting to happen. I no, th- I think we had an opportunity for picking the red zone, but it got dropped, and that was pretty right. Much that was it. really the
0: only bad throw that he had. Um. There's a lot of really bad play calls. A lot of, like, little short passes for, like, you know, two yards or something. I mean, it was, like, I had no idea what what we were trying to do there. It was just a bad play calling by Dirk Cutter, bad execution by the team. Todd Gurley is just not a very good running back, just to be honest. I know he has nine touchdowns, but if you look at what he's done, particularly over, like, the last uh, four games... I mean, going back to the Detroit game, he only aver- he averaged 2.7 yards a carry. Carolina, 2.6 yards a carry. Denver, 2.8 yards a carry. And against the Saints, he averaged 3.3 yards a carry. I mean, he, he's, he has been just pathetic these last couple of uh, those last four games in terms of just, like, getting good yards. I mean, D- Detroit, 23 attempts and 63 yards. Saints game, eight attempts on 26 yards. I mean, he's got... The last four games is riddled with shit like that. And yes, he scored four touchdowns in the last four games, but in terms of just getting you the yard, like actually getting you productive yards, it's like he's just not capable of doing that. And he's getting plenty of opportunities. So it,
1: it, it looks a little bit like Stephen Jackson in a Falcons jersey. He's got yeah. that. He's got that look going on with him. But, but yeah, but, I mean, he's, I mean,
0: but he's getting touchdowns. I mean, he is effective in the red zone. I'll give right. him that. But other than other than that, he's been pretty worthless. He's not contributing at all in the receiving game either
1: i I was just disappointed in this game because the defense looked good enough to win in my eyes but just like i mean that offensive line which had kind of been a strength for us recently just got blown up
0: yeah i mean cameron jordan had three sacks he's sacked matt Matt ryan 20 times in his career now
1: well that's ridiculous
0: it's, it's it's just and we did nothing to try and chip these guys on the outside like Cameron Jordan and had put extra running backs back there or something to be a, a, a run blocker. It was just like, I don't know. And then, and then, like we said, there were plenty of times when Matt Ryan just did not get rid of the ball. I mean, it was just a pathetic display. Throughout. I mean, it's not even really a game worth talking about. I mean, we just we got our asses handed to us, plain and simple. The only positive thing, really, was Young Wei Koo continuing to provide the entirety of the offense with three field goals.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, he was a stud, as usual. But, yeah, I mean, we needed touchdowns there, Graham, not uh, field goals.
0: Just- yeah, and we're so bad in the red zone. I don't even know what we are in the red zone. But I actually saw something that was interesting the other day where it said, Sarks last year, we were 11th in the NFL in, in red zone touchdown conversion, which is pretty solid. You know, I don't even want to think what we are with Dirk Cutter. I mean, God, I mean, this offense just looks lost and pathetic. Julio was having hamstring issues He only had two catches uh we, we just couldn't get anything going man
1: and then once you get down in that second half then it's just trying to throw it and they know what's coming the whole time
0: yeah we, we did not score a zero single running point. game didn't score a single point in the in the second half that's the problem with these dirt cutter offenses man it's just so one-dimensional there's there's just no it doesn't feel like there's any kind of strategy to try and throw someone off or get different looks out there. It's just all very plain and vanilla bullshit that we've been seeing pretty much ever since he's, you know, been our coordinator again.
1: And uh, uh, really Julio, Julio being down really hurt the offense as well. Those I mean, part, some of those sacks were just receivers not getting open.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's not just on that, Ryan, even though you like him to at least the ball out of bounds but yeah people were not getting open but can my
1: my boy Hayden Hurst get up more than two targets please
0: yeah I mean Jesus he got nothing and also but the thing that was really frustrating from the offensive or from the receiving side of the ball was that Lattimore was out for New Orleans and we still couldn't do anything yeah in terms of the passing game he's their best cornerback so it's like it was just a listless pathetic effort these Falcons are who we thought they were they're now three and seven uh and they're just you know once again third straight year of miserable football and I really hope that Arthur Blank does not fall for the same bullshit I fell for last year even if the Falcons somehow beat the Chiefs and maybe maybe they take the next game against the Saints and maybe they split with Tampa it's like no no we cannot I'll I'll you I mean, a full coaching purge as this is exactly something we'd see from a Dan Quinn coach team and yeah we saw it in the Denver game, when they almost blew a double-digit lead when they were with four minutes left in the game, they still almost blew it. This is not a good team. We haven't beaten anyone good. It's a bad coaching staff. It needs to be eradicated completely.
1: I feel like Arthur Blank needs to have a consultation with you at the end of the season, just so yeah. you can remind him of all, the, all of these things, even if things do go a little better down the stretch.
0: Yeah. It's like it's just, you know, it'll be the same thing, Arthur. Don't do it. Get yourself a new coach. Get rid of Rich McKay, too. I'm tired of his ass. And that's another thing, too, is that apparently Raheem Morris and Rich McKay are close. Oh, no. So, once again, establishing personal relationships in football does not equate to success.
1: Would you stop watching the Falcons if they hired Dirk Cutter as the head coach?
0: No, I'll never stop watching the Falcons. I'm a, I'm a damn glutton for punishment. I'm a masochist. <laughs> imagine, that, would,
1: imagine that podcast,
0: though. I, that would be two hours worth of just screaming and volatility.
1: It'd pretty much be the same thing as just rehiring Dan Quinn. Yeah. Dan just needed needed a vacation.
0: Yeah, I think it it might be worse. Yeah. I would say at least the Falcons held Kamara in check. He only had 13 runs for 45 yards. Hell, Latavius Murray had a better game than Kamara, but... Yeah. It was yeah. a rough, rough it, it, ass game. It,
1: it was an ugly game. Yeah. There wasn't much fun about it as a fan either.
0: Yeah. we were just sitting there. We were watching the game. We were sitting there. And I was like, I'm so bored by this. Like, I'm not even like sad. It was just boring. It was just boring and pathetic <laughs> and predictable. And predictable. I only had a tinge of sadness after the game was over. And then it was, and then it passed pretty quickly just because, you know, at this point, you can't you can't get torn up over this, over this team. Yeah. Yes, you can't. The it's
1: odds were, the odds were against us to do anything. And we know that by some miracle if this team had won four or five games in a row, make the playoffs. They're going to get killed in the first round. Yeah. So let, let the losing commence at this point. There's only six. Right. There's only six games left. Let's get some losing going, please.
0: Yeah. And uh, one last thing before we wrap up, Adam, we're playing the Raiders this week and the Raiders have, Signed Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley to their practice squad. I guarantee you, for whatever reason, they actually play this week. Both of them will get at least one sack against us.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Those guys just don't go away, man. Like, Tack's failed three physicals now. How how does he keep, like, I don't understand how he keeps getting signed.
0: I don't understand how he keeps failing his physicals. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, but you're right. I, I would love to. It's worth watching Sunday just to see those sacks from. Our former first-round picks.
0: Yeah, if they play. Yep. But, yeah, I think this will wrap up today's show. I don't think there's really much else to talk about with the silly-ass Falcons. We want to thank you all for listening. We hope you have a safe and fun Thanksgiving. And we'll see you all again next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, stand brotherhood, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. That's Thomas.